Well, it's a great gift to be with you this morning. My name is Father Brady Wagner. I am uh, a good friend of Father Brian, and he's out of town this weekend, so to be able to be here to celebrate Mass with you. Um, I'm actually assigned over to the, over at the seminary, uh, working full-time with the spirituality year. When I was a kid, uh, I was about five, I think, I woke up on Christmas morning, and I went down, and under the tree, oh, it was amazing. There was a castle, a medieval castle, made out of Legos, with knights on their horses, with their helmets on, and they had spears and swords, and it was amazing. As a little kid, five years old, I was like, this is incredible. I wonder what that's like to be a knight, wearing all that armor going into battle. Fast forward about four or five years ago, um, I got a chance to uh, I got a chance to go to a parishioner's house for dinner, and at dinner, and all of a sudden comes up in conversation that they actually have full suits of medieval armor, and I was like, "Can I try one of those on?" <laughs> so after dinner, we got a chance to get all fully suited up, and you know, you put in you put on the kind of like the 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 layer of padding underneath, and then. All I put on was just uh, a, coat, a coat of mail. I mean, that was it. And this thing was so heavy. Uh, and then put a helmet on and, uh, and, then tr- uh, and then had the sword. And I seriously, it was really embarrassing. I it took all the energy I had to try to wield that sword. And I was just like, Wah, you know. And it, it was exhausting just trying to swing that sword around just a few times. And to be able to experience the weight Should I just turn this off? Maybe I'll use this. How's that? Is that a little bit better? Okay. Uh, but I can't be as animated. Um, I just how the weight of the, the, the armor can really prohibit. Now, the weight is, or the armor is supposed to be something good, something helpful, right? Uh, but it can really prohibit one's freedom in battle. Now, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, David, the son of Jesse, uh, he's the youngest of several sons. Now, Jesse has three of his oldest sons enter into the army as soldiers for Saul's army. There's a moment when uh, Jesse, uh, his sons are off in battle, obviously, and, uh, and Jesse has his son David, who's tending the sheep, go back and forth to bring provisions to the army and to his brothers uh, in order to be able to support them in battle. So there's one day where uh, Jesse gives David a bunch of things to bring. And so he finally gets to the battle lines and he goes to his brothers and he's having conversation with them and and catching up with them and hearing about just uh, what the Philistines are up to. Um, And while he's talking with them, there's one, a giant... Uh, comes from the battle line of the Philistines and cries out in, in uh, tremendous mockery uh, against the Israelites and, and the God of Israel. His name is Goliath. Now David is like, I can't believe this. Like, why isn't someone doing something about this? And everybody, you can see all the soldiers are there kind of pretty timid and a little bit horrified because this Goliath is huge. I mean, this guy is skilled in war and everything. But he hears that Saul has put out, if anybody's willing to go into battle with him, I'm going to give him many things. Now, Saul, uh, David is like, is that true? So he ends up having people take him to Saul, and he says, put me into battle. I'll, I'll take Goliath on. 
that David is just this young guy. And so Saul's looking at him, and he's like, <laughs> are you serious? Um, he's like, no, seriously, put me in. Um, I, I was a shepherd of a flock, and so w- if there was a, a lion or a bear that might come take a sheep, you know what I do? I run after it, and I kill it, and I take from its mouth, from its jaws, the sheep that, that, had taken, that it had taken from me. And the God who preserved me from the paw of the lion and the bear... He's going to preserve me from this Philistine. So Saul's like, okay, all right. Um, okay, let me, let me suit you up for battle. So Saul actually gives him his armor. He puts on all his armor and his helmet of bronze and puts his sword on his waist. And so David is there. You can just imagine this. David is there, and Saul's a huge guy. He stands head and shoulders above most men in Israel, right? So... David is there, and he's like, I can't even move in this stuff. Like, I, I, there's no way I can go in a battle like this. And so just because the, the weight of it is really prohibiting his ability to even fight at all. Okay. Let's pause for a moment there. These readings today really get a chance to talk about the law, about tradition, about religion. And it's really powerful to reflect on this gift from God, the law, the tradition that's been handed on from generation to generation, our religion. In this book of Deuteronomy, Moses is there, and he is, he's there on the edge of, the whole book of Deuteronomy is, is him giving his final words, his last testimony to the people of Israel right before they head into the promised land. Now Moses had been walking with them all the way from being enslaved in Egypt to finally now being on the edge of entering into this great gift that God had promised to them. And he's, son, uh, he's seen and done many mar- marvelous things. Um, and so now Moses is encouraging the people, okay guys, listen, Please, please be attentive and carefully observe every commandment of the Lord. Listen to him carefully. Do not let your hearts grow deaf, or your hearts grow dull and your ears grow deaf. uh, Everything that I'm teaching you, observe it. But why? What's the point of the law? All these precepts and commandments of the law. So that you may live in the land. So that you might have life and flourishing of life. And guess what's going to happen? Not only are you going to have flourishing life, you're going to become a burning question of curiosity for all the rest of the nations. So that they might know how close the Lord is to you. You become a light to the rest of the nations. The people say, wow, look at this people. All the nations say, look at this people. The kind of God that they have that they are such a wise and intelligent people. Look at the fruit of their life. I want to be able to learn what they know. They have such a rich life. I want to live like they do. And I want to know the God whom they serve. Moses continually encourages them. Do not forget everything that the Lord has done and be faithful. Listen to his voice. Obey carefully his commandments. 
Well, we know what happens. They enter into the promised land and it's a painful experience because they end up having their hearts fall from the Lord, fall away from the covenant. They don't listen to him. And they espouse themselves not to the Lord. They actually are become harlots. They walk away from him and espouse themselves to the nations, which is really tragic because it's like the Lord draws them out and says, I want you to be different from everybody else. And I want you to be the firstborn among everybody else. I want you to be a light to realize, or so that everybody can know and realize the great life that I desire to bestow upon you, the great blessing. And what do they say? No, we want to be like everybody else. How tragic is that? How tragic? We want to be like everybody else. Well, fast forward. Let's go to the gospel. Now, at this point, uh, they've suffered deeply because of their infidelity. Israel has. And so there are some that really desire not to break any of the commandments. They want to be meticulous about their uh, obedience to the law. Now, the Pharisees, they usually get a bad rap, right? Often, of, oftentimes, we, we hear about the Pharisees, and it's like, oh, gosh, how foolish can they be? I mean, gosh, so ridiculous. Why don't they just love Jesus or whatever? No, these guys are actually really good guys. They're really trying to follow the Lord. They're really trying to be obedient to what Moses had called uh, the, uh, the hearts of Israel, uh, to be obedient to every precept and commandment. But what they do is they end up adding more and more things just so that they might not ever disobey one of God's commandments. So the Pharisees and some scribes, they come from Jerusalem, they gather around Jesus, and they see that Jesus and some of the guys, they're not eating with the ritual purity. They don't wash their hands in the way that they, uh, that the Pharisees and how this, is, this tradition of the elders has really developed. And it's like, come on, Jesus, what's the matter with you? Like, why are you giving the stiff arm to the tradition of the elders? I mean, come on. Like, why are you so neglectful and um, negligent about these things, these beautiful practices that are supposed to help us understand that we are different? And here's the tragedy. Those things are, can be really good things and really helpful things. But here's what happens with the Pharisees. And this is what can happen with us. It is so much easier doing our ritual washings with our hands than actually really allowing God to transform our lives. These things are so concrete and so easy to control that they really soothe and satisfy our conscience. But how superficial they are. They never really allow God the freedom to penetrate into the heart. The Pharisees settle for the superficial. And it's so easy, so easy. I've checked the boxes. Lord, I'm good. I'm good. I know I'm holy because I've done these things. So concrete, easy to control. St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, He's writing to a brother bishop, Timothy. And he says that there are some who hold the form of religion while denying the power of it. There are those who hold the form of religion while denying the power of it. You know what St. Paul says about those guys? Avoid those guys. Do not let 
their mentality infect the way that you approach our faith, our life, our religion? Religion itself is not bad at all. In fact, St. James in his letter today, our second reading, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Religion is good, but it has to be pure and undefiled. But how? He says, to keep keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, uh, imagine what the Pharisees are doing. This is exactly what they're doing, keeping themselves unstained from the world, but in such a superficial way. To keep oneself unstained by the world is to actually not fall into its spirit. The lust for pleasure and possessions and power and that, that spirit of pride that infects the world. And so Jesus then, end, then ends up saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you guys? Hypocrites. You're living too superficial. You're play acting. You're living this life of religion, but you're not allowing its power to transform your life. These people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain. And so then he actually turns from those guys and he, he addresses all the crowd. He has the crowd come in and he says this, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Now rarely do we ever hear words like that coming from the mouth of Jesus. So he's pretty serious about this. Hear me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that enters from outside can defile a person. All those unclean animals and all that kind of stuff. Now, the law was good, those unclean things, because, um, okay, just as a quick aside here, that was good and helpful because Israel's hearts were very fragile. Now, think about a parent with a child, right? You know, the the hearts are really formable, really fragile. You're not going to end up exposing them to lots of wickedness and lots of sin in the world. You're going to find all uh, creative ways and sorts of ways to be able to guard their innocence. So too, God, seeing Israel in their infancy, I want to guard and protect you. So don't even enter into table fellowship with these people. They eat those things, don't eat those things. Just to protect them. But once they get to full maturity, uh, they miss the, they actually take for the symbol what God wants to really do in their life. The things that come out from within That's what defiles from the heart. From within people and from their hearts come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, and folly. There's a lot of evil in the world. Yesterday, I got a chance to see my family just for a brief moment to celebrate September, August and September birthdays. And, uh, and I hadn't seen my family in a while, and I've noticed in one of my nephews, he's uh, four. Uh, since I had last seen him, he has realized that the world is filled with unfairness and a lack of justice. <laughs> and, you know, he was just so chill, pure, innocent, sweet, and just really uh, was a, a good kid. But now at any moment, at any faint whisper of injustice, It is a complete temper tantrum. 
And it's fascinating to think, okay, yes, sin has really affected our own hearts and the world, but how is it that sin has really impinged itself upon me, has really affected me, really wounded me, and how do I respond to it? This is how Jesus wants to call us into the light here. Most of what we do when evil happens to us is we try to figure out how to manage the pain. We just try to figure out how to manage and cope. And we never let God have freedom into the deep places of the heart to heal and sanctify so that then we have freedom to love as Jesus loves. In the face of curse, we bless. In the face of wickedness and sin, we forgive and have mercy. That's not something we can do on our own. At best, we can be hypocrites. We can act as if, but still have interior lack of integrity. Still harbor evil evil thoughts and malice and envy. Greed and unchastity, trying to cope. All these evils come from within and they defile. So what Jesus is asking is give me freedom to enter into the heart and allow this religion to transform and sanctify everything. This is about the grace of God. And the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. Jesus has plunged into the very depth of the wound and now he is risen to let the power and life of his resurrection touch every dead part of our being. The Pharisees would not let God go there. Like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm doing my ritual washings and not eating any unclean animals. That's fine with me. I'm checking the box. That's enough. Is that enough for you? I hope not. Lord, I want to give you freedom to let your life pour into my heart. So that, being kept un- unstained by the world, not allowing the contagion of its sin, wickedness, all of its evil, not to allow it to affect me, but remaining in that purity, I now have the freedom to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. I begin to love in the way that Jesus loves. So today, as we look at that image of, of, uh, of armor that is supposed to do something good, protect us from the world, to keep us unstained by the world, it can become so heavy that we can't even fight. But let us instead be like David and say, forget it, Saul, I'm not going to wear your armor. I know that the Lord, the living God, has kept me unstained by the world. He's kept me faithful and protected me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into battle in the way that I know how and the way that the Lord has always been with me. I'm going to take my sling, my pouch with five smooth stones, and my staff in hand because I am a shepherd. And I'm going to go into battle that way. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm sure many of you have heard this before, speaks about the army of, armor of God. Now, St. Paul is clear. He says, put on the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he says this, 
Remember who the enemy is. We're not contending against flesh and blood, against, but against principalities and against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Remember who the enemy is. So take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. And besides all these, taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now what's remarkable about this armor, it is extremely light and we can have fleetness of foot in this battle. It does not weigh us down because it's an experience of purity of heart and the virtues of faith, hope, and love abiding within us. It is tremendously dynamic. It's not a weight that makes it difficult. It is the very spirit of God that gives life, energy, dynamism in this fight. So let us not look at our religion in the way, the cheap way that the Pharisees and scribes do. But let us celebrate the gift of the law, his commandments, the gift of tradition, what God has given, and the gift of our religion as that which transforms our whole life and being. It is Jesus' resurrection. But Jesus, let it transform our entire lives.